This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. Elkshape Podcast, episode 73 with me, Dan the Fitness Man. Today, bringing on Tony Mudd, world-class archer extraordinaire. Guys killed a ton of elk. In fact... I think he's one animal away from conquering the North American Super Slam, which is insane, on a blue-collar budget. He's legendary. He's very humble. And I think this is one of the greatest guests we've ever brought on. I just want to thank everybody for listening to this podcast. You have a lot of options out there, and I'm nothing special. I've always just rode that wave of hard work and discipline, and I just want to spread the good word that, hey, man, we're lucky to be elk hunters. And if you're not an elk hunter yet, you're listening to this Hopefully we catch your attention and just inspire you to maybe come out west and cut your teeth on bugling bulls. There's nothing like it. I'm massively addicted to it and I just want to get other people addicted to it as well. So this podcast is a very special one because we are giving away five memberships to OnX Hunt. Thank you, OnX Hunt. Guys, they've done a, do- a ton of revamp. We're going to bring Zach Sandu on the podcast soon to talk about all the upgrades they've done to not only the website but all the features on the app. If you've never used the app before, try it out. I think they have a trial. And I don't even use a GPS anymore, and I do all my scouting with Google Earth and on X Hunt on desktop, and I download all my maps so I can go off-grid on the airplane mode. And I don't need to give you guys a big spiel, but on X Hunt is the real deal, and I use it every time I'm elk hunting. I'm always tracking my steps and dropping pins. Okay, so winners. I'm going to say your name. It's your Instagram handle. Your job, direct message me at Elkshape on Instagram and get me your email address and we will get you your prize. Number one, at Justin Swanson78. You're a winner. At Elkcaller33. You're the winner. At Seven Devils Industrial. You're the winner. At Bugle Me This. You're a winner. And lastly, at Jared Clarson. You are a winner. So again, that's at Justin Swanson 78, at Elk Collar 33, at Seven Devils Industrial, at Bugle Me This, and at Jared Carson. You guys just won yourselves a year 
of Onyx. Pick a state, get to work. Some pretty cool things happening. We have a promo on Instagram right now. All you got to do is check that out and do 100 burpees. Wear a vest, that's 20 pounds, and you get your name in the hat twice. My boy Jeff Bynum basically purchased a spot for Elk Shape Camp. He wants to give it away as a scholarship. He's our financial coach at this camp. That's right. We also coach you on finances, fitness, nutrition, elk calling, shooting under duress, archery tuning, archery coaching. There's nothing else like it out there. Deadline for that contest is May 31st, 7 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. Also, if you haven't registered for Elk Shape Camp and you are coming, get your ass in gear. You have till May 31st as well, 7 p.m. Registration closes. It's it. And that's who will be going to camp. Uh, we have the YouTube channel. Check it out at Elk Shape Subscribe. We're putting up some killer archery videos on there, especially some technical archery. Uh, it's a great time of year to try 21 Days to Elk Shape, the program I put together. It is thorough. It's only three weeks long. You can repeat it after you're done or you can take a break, but you need to try some of those workouts. I have a lot of interesting stuff and some different angles you didn't see coming, and I would love for you to invest in yourself and check out that program. That's what I got. I'd say Elk Shape Camp Online is almost done. That's right. That's a little teaser that's going to be available in probably about a month. And I'm just out there trying to kill a bear on public land, and I'm getting my teeth kicked in. But I'm going to give her hell this weekend, and I'm a weekend warrior like all y'all. Appreciate you guys listening. Check out Tony Mudd. He's the real deal, and enjoy this episode. Elk Shape Podcast with me, Dan the Fitness Man, today talking with, uh, in my mind, a legendary bow hunter who's still getting after it, Tony Mudd from Nevada. How are you, man? I'm great, Dan. How are you, bud? Uh, I feel like... uh, it's not even – it's Tuesday, and I'm pretty swamped. Didn't really get enough done yesterday. But I know you're busy too, man. So what are you What are you up to over there in Nevada? I'm trying to figure out – you got your hands on a lot of things. Well, you know, I've been uh, working for a company called Kinder Morgan Energy for 33 years, I guess. Um, and it's it was a job that I – when I got out of – high school and I worked a summer job while I was going to college for a petroleum pipeline. I thought, you know, this, this is pretty cool. If I could only do this half a year and then hunt half a year, I would be like in my dream job. Um, I guess about six years later, I ended up with the company that I work for now. I've been with them for 33 years and I basically work half a year and have half a year off. And it's just given me the ability to do the hunting and things I love. So and then I started uh, doing some stuff with a company, Canada North Outfitting, and we take care of um, all the hunters, bow hunters, hunters that like to go into the Arctic and chase, you know, big game and things like that. So that's what I'm up to. Okay, so this is starting to make sense because I don't know. I, I think I used to read stuff that you would write in magazines, and that's not my imagination, right? You used to write quite a bit. Yeah, I did. I wrote some stuff for Eastman's and gosh, I don't know. I guess it was traditional Bowhunter magazine and uh, or still is. Things yeah. like that. Yeah. Because pre-social media, that's how us folks got around. That's how right. you that's what you did. And so when the social media somehow we got connected and I, I just knew your name and then I started seeing like I remember seeing a lot of your pictures and stuff and so I, here's my first question. How close are you to the North American slam, super slam, like 29 species? Are you over halfway? 
Yeah, I have one left. Ah, I knew it. Okay, so it's not my imagination. You are you're knocking on the door. That's a whole podcast in itself. But what what's left, man? I have a uh, <laughs> believe it or not, I have a caribou left. Yeah. Um, actually, actually, I should say I have two animals left because one of the one of the two you can't hunt which is the Quebec Labrador caribou. So I actually really have two, but you can't hunt them, so I'm down to one. And, that's, is, a woodland, and that's a woodland caribou. When did that happen? Um, I think it was two years ago. Okay. Yeah, two years ago. They, um, I, I think it's more political than it is um, for biological reasons. Um, so, yeah, so I'm down to uh, one that I can hunt, one that I can't, and that will go from there. So. Okay, so Woodland, where do you got to go to get one of those? I'll be up in Newfoundland. Yeah, exactly. Yep. Okay, yep. when are you headed yep. back? You know what? Believe it or not, I really uh, I don't have any plans right now. Um, but I'm sure that I will come up with something real soon. I, uh, my daughter is going to graduate from Oregon State this year, and she's going to be commissioning as a – the second lieutenant in the U.S. Army, and so I, this year I've just kind of taken a step back, um, s- get her through all her stuff, and and get her off to um, her military base, and and then I'm going to um, kind of see where life takes me, and one of the first things on the list will be the caribou, but at this point I really don't have anything worked out. Okay, man, so far as i know you're not like um some spoiled little rich kid who inherited a bunch of money you're talking about a blue collar slam you're talking about a guy who's just figured out a way to make what money he needed to and have your put yourself in a position to have the resources and time to go hunt when did you figure out that was your passion and that was a big enough i don't know why in your life to make basically arrangements to live that kind of lifestyle you know bull hunting has been I guess I've been bow hunting, strictly bow hunting for 42 years. I just have had the mentality, if I can't do it with a bow, I don't want to do it. And and please don't take that wrong. I love all hunting, uh, and anybody that hunts is good on my list. I just prefer and like to challenge myself to do it with a bow only. Um, I did it. I started 42 years ago, and in my whole working career has been revolving around um, – my daughter and then my bow hunting. Um, I, you know, I've worked several different jobs besides my main job. I worked side jobs to pay for hunts. I, and, uh, it's never stopped. Um, so I, I guess that, I don't know if that answers your question or not. Yeah. So like the company you work for, they're cool with you just going six months in six months out. You must be doing one hell of a job and you so, must like, how many hours are you working a week? I mean, it's it sounds awesome. Well, so it's not, it's not like I work six months and then I have six months off. So I work four days on four days off. Uh, but what I do is on the four days that I work, I'll take vacation time, personal time like that. So that gives me 12 days. So I work all my days off around my hunting. Yep. Um, so I may work four days, um, and then I'm, it runs me into four days off. I'll take four personal days or four vacation days, and that gives me 12. So I set my hunts up on those 12-day hunts, and uh, that's pretty much how I've done it. Uh, at this point in my career, I've been – since I've been doing it for so long, I'm down to about 
84 to 100 days out of the year, 84 to 112 hour days out of the year that I work. Um, and the rest of the time is spent, you know, training uh, for hunts and, and hunting. Oh, so. we're, we're, that's pure genius. We're going to get into the training and the fitness because you live it, brother. And you have a lot of elk hunting background, which I really want to tap. Uh, so this the slam... It's a thing. I know it doesn't define you, but ultimately, you're a bow hunter solely. So am I. And like I said, like you said it best. Like no offense, but that's just that's our cup. Like I just want to hunt with a bow, and I don't think that needs any more of an explanation. But when did you realize that fitness and bow hunting were married? You know, it's probably someplace around eighty six, eighty eight, someplace in there. Um, when I moved from Michigan, you know, in Michigan, I was a whitetail hunter and, and a black bear hunter. Yeah. And, um, when I came out West, uh, I knew nothing about elk, but I knew that I wanted to hunt elk for years and years. Um, then the, so the first thing I did, I guess, was, um, one of the local archery shops here in Reno had some, um, video, uh, BCR tapes. Yeah. I don't, and you remember those. Yeah. Um, so they had it was larry jones and dwight shoe elk fever elk fever baby yeah so i uh i ended up getting one and buying one and wore that video completely out um and then so when i moved from michigan to southern california i was down there for two years um it gave me a eye-opening experience being around so many people in Southern California. I knew I had to get the hell out of there. So I came up to Reno and uh, got that video and started watching that video in 88. Uh, the fall of 88, I killed my first elk. Um, but I guess, you know, I, it's always been, for me, it's always been, if I can't do it with a bow, I don't want to do it. When gun season would roll around in Michigan, I would go uh, with some friends, I would drive the wood lots and things like that. Um, but I, I just wanted to do it with my bow. So, um, yeah, so in 88, I when I did that, um, that's where it was at. That's how it started. So. Okay, okay, I got you. So you have you always shot PSE? I have. Well, I no, I shouldn't say. I should not. I should not say that. No, that's not true. Um, I have been with PSE for the last 13 years. Um, but prior to that, um, I shot, shot Matthews. I shot some Hoyt. Um, as, as a matter of fact, my four sheep, my four North American sheep, two were shot with a Matthews and two were shot with a Hoyt. Um, but I've been with PSE, I guess, since about 2006. So, and, uh, that's a pretty cool family. Pete and Jonathan and the guys down there have kind of taken me under the wing and so i've i've been loyal to him for the last 13 years okay so a guy as successful as you out there really doing things that not very many people can do the fitness has always kind of been there since the elk fever days i mean those guys were pioneers they were showing how to train for hunting season back in the 80s you know what sucks is i just missed my window with dwight shoe uh, the late Dwight Shue. I had him scheduled for the podcast. I knew he was on his last days, and he just didn't make it to what we had scheduled. But I did get Larry on here, and I have hunted with Larry a couple times. When it comes to physical fitness, like 
How has that evolved in the offseason for you as you've gotten older? Well, um, you know, back to the elk fever thing, and hopefully I can bring it back to the question you just asked. Um, When I watched that and I learned that those guys were hunting 10 10 miles a day or maybe more or a little bit less, whatever it was, in the mountains – uh, coming from flatlands of Michigan, I was like, man, I need to get my ass in shape and, and really try to hit these mountains. So when I moved to Nevada, um, I started walking uh, six days a week up and down the mountains. Um, I started out with 50 pounds, probably, I don't know, a month later I was at 90. I carried 90 pounds up and down the mountains day Jeez. after day after day. I took, um, I would take one day off. I would take Sundays off. Um and I and I did it from basically eighty eight until my first knee surgery in um, probably two thousand four. After I did some mountain running and stuff, so yeah, so that uh, and then so now um, I backed off a little bit with carrying all the weights. Um, I was having I had four knee surgeries. Um, I you know, it was, it was nothing, nothing major, just some meniscus type stuff, cleaning up, things like that. Yeah. And just the, just the pounding up, up and down the mountains. And now where I'm at, you know, all these years later is I still train probably five days a week now. Um, I'm still on the mountains, um, hiking probably three days a week as hunting season gets closer, all up it to five. But um, you know, my, my lifting has been, um, I've tried to lift heavy and I, and I, now I am lifting fairly heavy for somebody that's 58. Uh, you know, I do deads and squats and things like that. Um, I try to get full range of motion. I'm, I'm doing a lot of mobility stuff like that. Just, uh, trying to stay injury free and, and knock on wood, I have pretty much since I tore my Achilles in 2012 doing some CrossFit stuff. and So that's where it's at now. Thanks, CrossFit. How'd you tear your Achilles? Were you doing like box jumps or something? No, no. Um, I'm almost embarrassed to say. Um, so my daughter was playing uh, several years up in, uh, in a women's soccer league. And um, so she was, I think she was a sophomore in high school. So she and she was playing on the indoor league with some with the seniors and the older girls, U eighteen or something like that. Yeah. And so the the coach was a CrossFit coach trainer, and so I was going in and I to drop my daughter off, and I got to meet, know the guy a little bit, you know. And you know what physical fitness does, and if you have a passion for it, you you you're, you walk in and you see every, all these people doing these different things, and I was like, you know, I could do that. I can do that. That's good. That's going to be fun stuff there. You know, so I talked to him a little bit, told him what my goals were that I needed to get up and down the mountains. I needed to be mobile. I needed to be, you know, and had plenty of an endurance. And so I started working out with them probably in 2011 and I had been working with them and uh, the indoor soccer league started and I was playing with the girls on Sundays and they were just like, Oh, it's a half a step. I headed to the ball. <laughs> Dang, you know. And I, I just told myself, you know, I'm better than this. I'm quicker than this. And so I kind of picked it up. And um, 
it was the next weekend, I guess we, and I was still like that. Just, they were just, just beating me that little bit. And I thought, you know, I'll push a little bit harder. Well, I did. And I pushed off on my right leg. And, uh, when I came down on my left leg and then I came down on my right leg, there was no right leg. Oh, and I, gosh. and the wall, the wall just came crashing in and I caught myself and I spun around and I'm watching my foot kind of flop and I thought, Oh, that's not good, but it didn't pop. So their damage had been done, you know, leading into it. So it wasn't like it was, it just popped. And so I wasn't sure, but then I tried to walk on it and the coach came over and looked at it and he says, yeah, he says, you need to go to the hospital. So um, anyway, I hobbled out on one leg to the truck and drove myself to the hospital. And yeah, so then it was like, okay, uh, my daughter comes out and dad, you're going to be okay. I said, yeah, I'll make it. I'll be fine. Um, you know, you are 50 years old and maybe it's time dad that you just kind of slow down a little bit. (laughs) So, uh, to this day, I still haven't taken her advice. Never now. So indoor soccer tore the Achilles, uh, Dude, I'm in the same boat as far as I am like my interests are working out for hunting and ultimately hunting. So I tore my uh, ACL, oh, back in 2009 doing CrossFit and didn't have it repaired surgically, just basically rehabbed it myself, actually scheduled surgery for after elk hunting season and then went through that season and just crushed it and was like, dude. The the surgery is not a guarantee. I'm PRing and all my workouts, personal bests. I'm lifting good. I'm moving well. I'm not getting a surgery, and I still haven't had it. But you will never catch me playing a pickup game of basketball anymore. I sure as hell ain't going to play any indoor soccer. Um, and I run everything through that elk hunting filter, which is probably sad for some people to to hear like that's kind of ridiculous. But that to me, I'm not apologetic. Like that's just my filter. Sure, I would yes. love to, but I don't. It's just not a big enough priority to me. But how long did it take you to recover from inevitable surgery on Achilles? Well, you know, I went to the hospital and they did surgery the very next day. Yep. Um, and and the, I, they, I found a specialist here at uh, the Reno Orthopedic Surgeon area or facility, and um, I guess he was one of the best foot doctors in Nevada. And he said, no, no problem. He says, um, he says, you have definitely tore it. He says, I'll, I'll go in, I'll make an incision, probably an inch long, pull it together. We'll suture it up. You'll never have any problems with it again. And so, and that's what he did. He went in and did the surgery, pulled it together. And, you know, they put me in a walking cast, Dan, within three days I was back in the gym. Yes. Uh, I was told I couldn't do some things. Um, I would, you know, and so I would, but I was in the gym and I was doing actually one legged lunges, um, where I would put, I would just have my walking cast on and my, my, uh, opposite foot would be up on a bench or something like that. And I would just do lunch. I just do one legged squats, you know, uh, as long as I knew that as long as I didn't, tear into or move the area that was the surgery was done on, I would be okay. And uh, I was told not to. Um, but I, but I'm, you know, I have enough common sense to know that 
as long as I don't do it without the boot and things like that, and I keep the circulation going through, uh, I would be okay. And so I, three days after the, I'm in a walking cast, I'm back in the gym and I just kept after it. Um, it's, it's been what, 13 years now. Uh, the calves, as hard as I work the calf, it's starting now after 13 years, I guess the nerves. So what happened was he went in and tried to pull the Achilles back together. Every time he reached up and grabbed it, it was shredding. So the one inch incision, he told me it was going to be ended up to be like six inches. And so what happened was it was just shredding. And uh, finally, he had to get cut all the way up, get it together. And then once he sutured it. um, But when he did that, there were a lot of there was a lot of nerve damage. Not a lot, but there was enough that the calf muscle wasn't firing. Um, And it's only been in probably the last year that. I now have some cramping in my calf muscle. So I know that the nerve ends found themselves. And, you know, so I've been able to, uh, I've actually, first time in my life, you get a cramp in your calf and you're excited about it. Oh, uh, man. But, but I knew that that's a good thing because now the muscle's firing, uh, it's cramping um, now. So it's working, but that's been, it's been a long road, 13 years. Uh, it's kind of affected my, my, uh, my quad my knee and things have kind of made up for it so i've been having some problems with that but what i what i found is the more i stretch my hamstrings uh my knee all my knee pains go away so i've been really religious about mobility with my stretching and things like that so yeah it was about 12 years i guess 12, okay 13 well for a guy who's knocking on 60 but doesn't look gosh a day over 40 success leaves behind clues it's not just good genetics and clean living man it's it's just your probably your attitude towards life you work your ass off for everything that you've got and it's pretty cool and inspiring for me i want to transition a little bit into elk hunting i have so many things i could ask you but we got to go right into elk hunting so being a nevada resident you're not guaranteed an elk tag every year uh they're pretty pretty damn stingy and if you draw, do you guys have a waiting period uh, once you draw that tag? So originally it was 10 years, but just I think last year they changed it. Last year, the year before, they changed it to seven. So if you do draw a tag, you know, and you you go out and kill an elk, it's, it's a seven-year wait now before you can even apply for another elk tag. With that said, we have some depredation elk hunt, bull elk hunts that you can do. Um, so – if I'm in that waiting period, I'm putting in for those depredations. So I've been here in Nevada for 31 years, and uh, I've only had two elk tags here in Nevada. Exactly. So where is your go-to state for over-the-counter elk hunting? That's like your home base. Um, you know, I would say probably Idaho. Idaho. I started hunting elk in Oregon and, and killed my first bull in '88, and so I, I hunted there probably the first eight nine years. Then I was hunting both Oregon and Idaho for several years, and then I ended up just being in Idaho. So I guess I would say Idaho is probably my go-to state. Um, and then you know, so I've been trying to draw the other states. I've never drawn an Arizona tag. Yeah. Um, uh, drawn a couple of Wyoming tags. Um, I drew a, uh, 
Let's see. I went back to Oregon, hunted some Roosevelt. So I always wanted to do that. So I went back and did that. And just, so I just been, you know, I guess I've been hunting elk for, well, since 88. There were a few years that I didn't hunt elk because I was hunting sheep. So yeah, I've been hunting elk a long time and Idaho is probably the state that I go back to, but you know, that Oregon West coast is for Roosevelt can, as you probably know, you probably hunt a lot of the Roosevelt's is fun. I like the coast. I have actually never hunted Roosevelt, you know, uh, I live 15 minutes away from my Idaho state line. So, uh, ah, I try to, I try to head East from where I live to hunt Montana and Idaho. And I do like Idaho. Idaho is a very interesting state. It's very diverse. It's, uh, the areas are all unique to their own terrain and, and man, it just depends on what part of Idaho and, and what kind of adventure you're looking for. So, Given that you've been in Idaho many, many years, give us your elk hunting learning curve. Um, probably in Idaho, where you were making maybe some mistakes that you don't make now, or um, you were doing things that uh, weren't as efficient as they are now. Like, what have you learned along your journey? I guess you know, my elk journey's been—it's uh, been, gosh, Dan, um, <laughs> I'm, I'm all about the calling. Yes, and the, and the excitement and the adrenaline of the calling. Over the years, I've become an opportunist. Um, if I hear a bull rake in a tree, um, and I get no response from my call, I'm on a dead run to get there before he stops. Yes. So I I I I, I would say that most of my elk hunting's been revolved around calling. That's how I learned. That's the thing that I love to do. I was, I guess the, I became more aggressive. And, uh, as I've gotten older, uh, which has paid huge dividends as far as success, it just, uh, I guess it's just kind of evolved as the elk hunting, you know, the calling thing and, and chasing bulls and, <clears throat> the more you do it, the the more experiences you go through. So um, you just kind of put those in the back of your mind and, you know, you get into a situation, a calling situation and something happens. Oh, you know, if I do this, this might work. And so you, you go do it and then you just keep learning. I'm not sure if I'm answering your question, Absolutely. but I think I am. So, so let's try to define what that line of being aggressive versus not being aggressive, because I think I'm with you like, I'm ultra aggressive on elk for the most part. Rarely do I slow play an elk. I've made some adjustments in my game, especially in areas that I hunt frequently. I've learned a lot of the elk's general behavior destinations that they want to get to. And so my curve was instead of just diving down any dark hole after a bugle, I might sit back and be less aggressive for a second or two, get a pulse on where they're going, and then put my head down and get way out in front of them. But then when it's time, I'm pretty aggressive. I'm either making calls or I'm not, but I'm getting right in their business, and I'm going to make an opportunity. And if I miss that window, I'm going to put them to bed, and I'm going to apply more pressure. I'm going to get that bull at some point to turn the tables and come in. What is your definition of being aggressive for our listeners? So we're on the same 
absolutely the same page when it comes to that. Um, we'll go out, you know, go out in the dark and locate a bull. Okay. Figure, you know, where he's at, what time it is, where, where I think he's headed. And when they start moving, they're usually pretty vocal when they're moving. Mm-hmm. Um, if they're not pressured. Um, and so I'll, I'll cut the angle and I'll, and I'll be very aggressive. As, and as I get closer, I'll just have to kind of figure out the situation, what the wind's doing, where they're headed, things like that. Um, and, uh, I'll just, just keep moving in. Um, and once I have a good idea where they're headed, if they're headed to some saddle or if they're headed to, uh, some flat, whatever it is, um, then I get super aggressive. I'll, I'll, you know, as long as the wind's good, I'll just get right in there and then I'll just, uh, sort it out from there. Same thing. Uh, if they, if they bed down, they get quiet. Um, then this, just the past hunting experiences, I'll try to put it together. Okay. Uh, this is where they were headed. Where do you think they're at? They're always going to be on some kind of little flat. It may not be very, very big, but they're going to be on some kind of flat typically. And so I'll just, I'll just kind of sort it out and figure out where they're at and get right in there. And, um, usually if you get in close enough, um, and, and raise a little hell with them, they're going to, the bulls are going to come up and they're going to get up. And you can usually tell, uh, with enough experience that the bull's bugling from his bed. Um, yeah. and, and if he, if I can keep him talking while he's in his bed and I get in close and, and you know, I'm going to get right up on top of him and just, um, raise some hell with him and usually get in a fight with him. And, and that usually gets him out of his, out of his bed and, and, and usually normally in, um, a close enough distance to get a shot at him. So have you hunted much with people for elk hunting or are you a solo guy? So I, I, most of my elk have been solo uh with that said i guess in 2010 i started hunting with a friend of mine from uh from idaho um i shouldn't say that i uh, when i first started elk hunting i had some friends come out from michigan um and i called some elk in for them and they killed some elk but they weren't callers and they didn't know what to do so when it was after they killed their elk and then it was my turn um they just basically stayed back with me or i you know left them someplace and I went after him, whatever it was. But 2010, I started hunting with a friend of mine, Drake Atwood from Idaho, and he's one hell of a elk hunter, traditional elk hunter. Um, and we hit it off. We did a. He's very aggressive, and we kind of had the same mindset as far as aggression goes. And uh, so several years, I so it was back and forth. When he wasn't hunting with his wife or his brother, uh, I was hunting with him, and. Uh, when he was doing that, I was hunting by myself and last couple of years I've hunted with some local friends from Nevada that, um, have been going to Wyoming. Um, and so most of it's been solo, Dan. Gotcha. Yeah. So guys that are listening, I kind of preach solo for a lot of reasons. I'm all about camaraderie and campfires and hearing how everybody's day went. That's cool. But I haven't met a lot of people that have helped my elk hunting situation. Uh, if anything, I've only made it worse for them with whether it be just my pure unadulterated grit and determination. And I'm not bragging. I'm just telling you, like, I, I sell out for elk hunting and I'm willing to not sleep 
if that means finding elk. And I'm willing to go after just about any bugle at any time of day because it's so finite and it's a long ass off season. So I've just learned over the years to, to hunt solo and all the success and failure is on me. And what it's done is my decision making is extremely fast and efficient in the mountains. I don't stop to get the input from the tribe and I don't have to wait and no one has to wait for me. And I don't have to go after an elk and worry about meeting back up with somebody. I just don't have any worries. It's just, it's just yeah, all we're, me. Yeah, no, I'm on the same page. Uh, I wrote some articles for Elk 101 and, and about solo hunting. And, and my thoughts have always been, if you can kill elk by yourself, you can kill elk with friends. With that, there's a caveat with that, though. I have been, I have brought some friends out that just can't get around the mountains. Okay, we need to get to that ridge because that bull's coming down that ridge. He's going to come across that flat. We need to get there. And I can't get him there. Um, so there were, I have had a lot of people ask me to go elk hunting. Um, I feel bad about saying no, but I, especially because we're only given so many elk seasons, and I will take anybody that has my mindset that can get around the mine mountain, the mountains with me. And I will, you know, take them with me. Um, and I, if that sounds selfish, I apologize, but that's my, like I said, there's only so only so many elk seasons left in my life. And, and that's the thing that I love to do. And, um, so I do it by myself. Uh, there has been, you know, the last couple of years in Wyoming has been really frustrating because trying to get an inexperienced elk hunter that gets, gets around the mountains really well. I don't ever have to wait for them. Um, but to, to get them to deal with that last 50 to a hundred yards to get them set up in the situation, you can't, you can't, you can tell them to be aggressive but they're not going to be aggressive. They don't have the experience to get there. And so I feel a little selfish about sometimes going and doing things by myself. But at the end of the day, sometimes I don't because like I said, I've only got so many elk seasons. I'm going to do what I can to be successful. And um, so I guess that's one of the reasons that I've hunted solo for so long. No doubt. And I think I've talked about a lot on here, but it's, I think people get the gist. And when you explain it that way, I think people can appreciate it. Now, if you are going to hunt with a squad or even somebody else, I think I still prefer to you go your way. I'll go my way. I'll see you at camp or let's spike camp here. You go that way. I go that way. But if you are going to share a camp with somebody, and I know you've done this, wh- what kind of setups do you guys like to do in Idaho versus like, say, Wyoming? even maybe Oregon, speak to the places you've been more with a, another hunter. Because to me, it's like every state's a little different on how far to have your collar back, what kind of terrain features, and what the elk typically do when they have pressure and stuff like that. So my question is, calling with a partner, st- kind of a, your go-to states, what's worked for you? I guess we're, you know, the guys that I've hunted with are, have been um, – for the most part, inexperienced elk hunters. Um, so as long as they can keep up um, and we get into a situation, um, you know, I, I, 
I've always tried to get in within that hundred yard mark. Um, a lot of times I'll get them to a spot and say, okay, stay here. And then I'll go back as quiet as I possibly can. Now I am my, so I'm always trying to get them in there, get them set up where I would set up. So I would look at an area, look at the situation. Okay. This is where I would go. I would get that person there as quietly as I could. Then I would back out. And sometimes that works. Um, sometimes as you probably know, that thought and the time that it takes to get that thought and then get to that location, you better be ready to shoot because that bull's going to be there. And so there's been some times where, because I want to get them to that situation, get them to that spot, get them set up and then try to go back and then, then make some calls and things like that. We're a little late. So it's, God, it's there's just every situation and scenario is different. I, I always try to keep them beside me until that last hundred yards. And then at that point um, I'll direct them. If I, if I can't get the words across to where I want them, I'll take them right there and then I'll, then I'll get back. Um, so that's, that's the things that have worked with us. It's always been nice to hunt with um, some really experienced elk hunters um, that, that can go do it on their own that have hunt, solo hunted on their own. And then I don't even have to say anything. You know, we're, we're going in, we're getting close, and they know where to go. That is, that's fun. I mean, that I sounds enjoy like a dream, a dream come true. Yeah, yeah. yeah. but do you know, like, my, like I mentioned, Drake, Drake's that hunter. Drake, and he's probably, you're, and you're probably that hunter. You've done it enough to know if, if you have another Dan Staten beside you and you guys are in an encounter, you know, both of you guys know what to do, and that's the way Drake is, you know. So uh, it, when you have a partner like that, uh, it does make it enjoyable and, and fun, and it, it's it, it, exciting um, because, you know, your job is to be back calling, and, and your twin's up there, if you will, and he knows where to be, and you know it's going to come together. And that, so that's always yeah, that's how I do it. So I like what you said there. It made me laugh to myself because I do exactly like when I call for my dad, we are shoulder to shoulder until the last 75 yards mm-hmm. tops. And mm-hmm. a lot of times I can still see him, even though I'm calling for him. It's really helped us figure out exactly where that bull's going to come. Before that, we were not successful because we had only watched Primos videos and I don't have to even go over that, but those aren't real life. <laughs> and we would like get a bull to answer 200, 300 yards away and be like, all right, dad, you got to go out there a hundred yards. I'll stay here and call. And there's just so many variables where that bull will either hang up or he may come in, but he's going to come in a completely a way where my shooter's not going to get a shot. Um, but usually they'd hang up even with a, a a shooter out in front because we were too far away. So I would definitely agree with be aggressive and err on the side of staying shoulder to shoulder as long as possible before you break apart. And you got to have somebody who can quarterback and, and it should be your most veteran hunter there, whoever has the most encounters under their belt. And so if you and I were hunting together, I would, you would quarterback just because you've probably killed more elk than I have, but we would be a deadly duo for sure. Um, well, I think that, you know, the quarterback, once you're, once you're, you're side by side, you get into a situation, 
you, the hunter knows and his experience and he knows where he wants to go. He goes and then the quarterback is behind him, you know, 50 yards, whatever it is. And sometimes it doesn't have to be that. Sometimes it needs to be further. It just depends on the land and yeah. the, you know, the cover and things like that. But that quarterback needs to move around mm-hmm. without getting spotted. Um, he needs to move around that shooter to draw with the play of the winds and draw that bull across in front of that shooter. And so, so if you have a shooter that knows what he's doing and then the quarterback knows what he's doing behind you, that's a pretty deadly team for certain. No, I love it, man. Talk about this stuff gets me fired up and somebody's experiences you. It's hard to come by Tony to get uh, somebody on your level of bow hunting who taught you how to shoot? Who has mentored you on the mechanics? What have you done to be world-class at archery? Because you never just say, I've arrived. I can shoot a bow. Like It requires muscle memory and reps on reps. But like, what are your best practices through your journey to become so dedicated at archery? What are you doing to be so successful? Well, um, you know, I've always had um... – idols and things like that growing up in in the bow hunting world you know of course fred bear and uh chuck adams and and guys like that you know, and jack frost and tom hoffman and uh, but nobody really took me by the hand and i never had really and really any good instruction on archery i just kind of self-taught myself and then probably i guess it was probably 10 years ago um i you know i i shot well enough i'm not a by any means a great shot i work hard uh, when i'm when i was hunting sheep um i was hoping that i could get close and most of the time i did but i wanted to be able to shoot those 80 200 yard shots so and i practiced and practiced and practiced i watched some videos uh, michael Braden, who now shoots for pse i he had a couple instructional videos that really helped me with my mindset in archery um and so that that helped. Um, I guess that's about it, Dan. I just have what, kind of been self-taught. Clue us in on what is he saying on this instructional video that you remember that st- stands out. So he has some exercises. In this particular video that he did, he has some exercises that um, where he, you would draw down on the target and um, – and then you would just kind of get relaxed. You would just, and then not, but not shoot. You would let down. Um, and when I first watched the video, I thought, oh, that's easy. I can do that. Well, <laughs> let me tell you something. When you have that anticipation and you draw down, if you've done it enough, you get that pin close to where you want it to be, that arrow's going because you know that arrow's going to hit there. So the mindset it takes to get there and then relax and not shoot that arrow, that was difficult for me. Um, but, you know, over time I, I, I learned it and became relaxed. And and then I learned um, a surprise relaxed shot. And that's what helped me the most. Um, so if I, if I, if I struggle with any of my shooting right now, I go back to that exercise that I learned from Michael and, uh, I'll, and I'll just work that for a while. And, um, and that usually takes care of any shooty problems that I have. So, dude, I love that. And everybody should kind of have their fallback fundamental 
things that they go and do when they're not shooting well, whether it be just some blank bail or, you know, like you said, pulling back, letting down, but just working on staying calm and relaxed. And I have an archery coach, you know, I've been doing archery since 2001. I'm solely a bow hunter. I shoot almost every day of the year, even through winter, but I still have someone who has eyeballs on me Mm -hmm. and is constantly making sure that I'm doing what I need to do to be confident. For me, it's all between the ears and that's what archery is and that's what hunting is and that's why I train and that's why I'm disciplined and eat well and sleep my eight hours and all that stuff is just so I can stay sharp between the ears because that is... That's your X factor when it comes to archery. And you would know better than anyone because you're working on a super slam. And it's not like you can go get a sheep tag any every day. You probably worked, I don't know, how many days did you work for that desert shot or that rocky shot or, you know what I mean, or, you know, your right. stone. And I don't know. It all comes down to one shot execution. So you got to have that mindset. So let's sure. talk about shooting sheep with a bow because it's kind of like incredible in my mind. What what kind of was the shot distances on your four sheep that you did and what kind of steep angles and third axis and all that kind of stuff? Let's start with your stone. Um, the stone was, uh, stone was my third sheep that I killed and um, – that was probably so. That was in 2005. Um, that was probably 2005 was probably the best I I've ever shot. Um, I was shooting every day at 100 plus yards, and uh, and I, I guess I should say everything from five yards to 120 yards, something like that. But I was shooting every day on um, the stone. Um, on day one, we found a beautiful ram we couldn't get to. Um, just, and I, and I'm the person that will go anywhere, anytime and do whatever it takes to get there. And we just physically could not get there. Um, I guess on day six, we've day five, we found some Rams, a group of Rams, put them to bed, um, slept on the mountain on the hillside and, um, and probably the best night of sleep I've ever had in my entire life on this. Like, <laughs> I, I swear to this day, it's like it was heaven. Um, and then we woke up the next morning and couldn't find the rams, couldn't find the rams. And and this the guide has never been with a bow hunter. Uh, he was a fairly young guy, had killed several, um, had several clients killed rams with rifles, but had never been with a bow hunter. And so we're, we're talking every day about what, you know, running scenarios through our minds and discussing them and things like that. And I said, okay, I said, we just need to find these rams and then stay back and let me do what I need to do. So we're, we're looking for these rams and, and it was a, a big, huge boxed canyon mountain type thing. And so we knew they were there. We just couldn't find them. And finally we found them. We could just see the tops of one of the rams horns. And, and I said, okay. I said, I'm going to swing up and I'm going to come in. Um, and it looks like they're, they're possibly bedded down right there. Or, you know, we weren't positive, but I had him stay back and I just kept working around and working around. And I, I was coming in on their level and all of a sudden they just decided as sheep do, they do what they want to do when they want to do it. And they just were feeding and got up and started moving up the hill. So they, they were angling towards me and it was, um, 
it was a super steep shot and I'll, and the, but they were uphill and I had just, and I don't even remember the name of the rangefinder, but it, it was a angle compensating rangefinder. And, and, you know, I've got it wrote down someplace, but it was one of the first ones that ever came out and I had practiced with it and they came out and, and it, I think that was like the distance was 55 yards. Let's see how that go. It was, they were, they were 70 yards and the range finder said, shoot him for 55. Well, I had, I had enough experience with my range finder and practiced enough that I, I trusted it. And so, um, I shot it for 55. Uh, it was slightly quartered to me and I felt like I could, I could put the arrow in there and, and I shot and it did. The arrow hit him and I don't know, less than 10 seconds, Dan, he was tumbling down the hill. Oh my landed, gosh. He landed beside a beautiful mountain lake that was just the bluest blue you've ever seen. Um, light blue. And it was just, uh, it was, uh, you know, amazing. And this kid, he, when I, when he, he came up to me after the ram died and he's, he says his jaws like on the ground. He says, that was the coolest thing I ever seen. He says, I watched the arrow <laughs> the entire time from leaving your bow until it hit the sheep. He says, that was the coolest thing I've ever seen. Oh my gosh. And, I mean, it, you know, you, you've bow hunted enough to know that that arrow flight is magical. It so, doesn't get old. I can tell you that much. Um, no, I know we're going to try to keep this under an hour, but dude, maybe at least one more. Can you tell us about your doll archery? Um, yeah, the doll was, uh, the doll sheep was really cool. Uh, I hunted with probably, if you went into the record books and you looked in the top 20 doll sheep and you look for one hunter and, and, and his name would probably be Bron Kopsack. He's from Palmer, Alaska. He's probably killed more doll sheep with a bow than anyone at this point. He's a guide outfitter and, um, in 2000, 2002, I hunted my desert, killed my desert uh, after eight days, hunting by myself. Um, I had a friend that was there in camp, but I, you know, I did all the hunts by myself. And so in 2000, at, after, my de- after my desert hunt, I called up this guy. I said, hey, I said, uh, I want to kill, I just killed a desert with my bow. I want to kill a doll. And he says, uh, he says, I'm booked out for three years. He says, and we talked more, and he says, you know what? He says, my rifle hunters have been pretty successful. He says, if you come up and my rifle hunter kills on the first day, he says, I'll take you out. I said, deal. Done deal. Done deal. And uh, so I, I was doing a little footwork on this guy, and what I learned was this guy was like one of the top mountain runners in the state of Alaska. And the stories that I was learning about this guy was, oh, man, I better get my ass in shape because this guy is badass. So uh, I started working almost like 11 months before my doll sheep, and I was up and down the mountains every night after the work, my 90-pound pack, up and down the mountains, up and down the mountains. And um, got there, flew up to Alaska the day that – the day opening day I flew into Alaska – into Anchorage, and that hunter on opening day, the rifle hunter, killed his ram. One of Bron's guides picked me up at the airport and says, okay, he says, we need to stop, grab you something to eat, we need to go. 
They're going to fly out. The rifle hunter killed his ram. You're flying in when this guy flies out. Or he says, you're flying in. The rifle hunter's flying out. Yep. Perfect. So um, get there. It was, it, it, it was my first uh, Super Cub ride. It was the first time in the Alaska mountains. We were in the Chugach Mountains, which are legendary for yeah. being tough. Um, so I, you know, and I was just like taking it all in and landed. Uh, and it was funny cause we're going up the river and, and I'm looking for a place to land. I'm, you know, I'm not seeing any runways or not seeing anything. And he kind of circles and I see like a little t-shirt tied on a twig. And then at the other end, I see something else tied and I thought, there is no way he's going to land that plane there. Pretty soon, here he comes. We come in and land on this little gravel bar. I thought, holy shit, what I get myself into? <laughs> anyway, uh, the next morning, we, we stayed there at the river. Next morning, we hiked across the river, which was, like, unbelievable. Um, I, I was thinking I was going to die for sure. Got across the river, and then it was, uh, I think it was about an eight-hour climb um, through Devil's Club and over boulder fields and up straight up straight up slippies slippery slimy stuff you know finally we're up on top of this uh boulder field and and he says well there's got there's some water up here someplace he says i saw it when we he made an airdrop and just kind of dropped some supplies and so we're looking finally found the water and then found the the airdrop and it was just basically dried foods and things like that and some extra fuel and just you know, things that we didn't want to carry. And anyway, that afternoon we went out, um, found a ram and I missed him. Oh my gosh. I was sick. It was, uh, opposite of, uh, the stone. This was a, this was almost a straight down shot. And, uh, so this was the year, this is what prompted the angle range. Uh, compensating rangefinder was this this year in 2003 mm-hmm. so i had printed out a chart i had an inclinometer had an idea what the thing was but and i had it all in my in a jacket and i was making a stock on this ram and i was pretty heated up and i thought i took the jacket off you know so i took the jacket off and i'm getting closer and closer well i left the inclinometer and my chart in my jacket pocket come up over this ledge and there's this <clears throat> beautiful doll uh, 70 yards. And I had just a regular range finder at the time. And I thought, okay, we'll shoot him for 50, shot him for 50 arrow went right over his back. Oh, uh, gosh. I couldn't believe he stood there. I thought, okay. So I, I shot him for, and I, I, it went up, must've gone over his back further than I thought it did. So I shot him for, uh, 40 yards and, um, or 45, maybe it was 45. So I shot again and hair went off his back oh. and, th- and then he took off and I just sat there and I was just like beside myself after everything that we had did to get to the top of the mountain. I was like, Oh my gosh. And he comes over and, and he's just smiling ear to ear. And I thought, you know, I thought just the opposite. This guy's going to be mad at me. You know, how do you miss a ram that close and get two shots at him and you miss him. And, I thought, oh, this guy's, but he came over and he was just kind of laughing. And, and, uh, so we went back, set up camp next morning, got up, found those Rams again, camped on them all day. 
and I was able to get in and kill him at 25 yards. So oh, that that's a chip shot in the Sheep Mountains. That's, yeah, it was. Uh, uh, but the but prior to the shot, it was uh, probably a 200 yard sprint. They were going through a saddle, and we needed to cut the distance, and we had to run around kind of a hillside. But it was like 200 yards, and we're sprinting. And um, they had got to the saddle first, so we had, and there was just, luckily, there was a little bit of ledge there, and we were able to drop down below it, and then they came down, and yeah, so it was, uh, it was pretty exciting. Dude, I remember one of my first rangefinders putting a piece of spelt, like felt on it, and glue, like super gluing an inclinometer on the side, and Mm -hmm. printing out my cut chart. And I, uh, this was pre-angle compensators, and now it's just like standard issue. And there was so many more bow hunters before our time that were making these shots without any rangefinder. So uh, it's just but, you know they were using Dan, they were using the inclinometers and the charts. And um, yeah, you know if you at that time if there were there were a lot of good sheep hunters out there. Um, and you needed to talk to them because they had a wealth of information when it came to things like that. And but nowadays, you know, most of them are are using uh, angle range, you know, compensating rangefinders. So yeah, that's so cool. But uh, you know, I want real quick. The desert sheep was um, one of the my turning, not really a turning point, but when I drew my desert tag. I, I talked to several people here in in the Reno area, and everybody said, "Oh, you need to take a rifle. You need to take a rifle." And and one particular guy I was working with, this is Tony. He says, "I've killed one doll sheep or one desert sheep, and and my wife's killed one desert." He says, "You're going to have to take a rifle." I said, "Look, Lloyd. I said I really appreciate it. I said, but if I can't do it with my bow, I don't need to kill it." Amen. And I said, and I said, please don't take that as an arrogant comment. But if I can't get in close enough with my bow and do it with my bow, I don't need to kill it. That's me personally. And uh, he says, I get it. And so, um, you know, I went down and hunted by myself. And eight days later, I was able to get in and kill a desert at 32 yards. So, yeah. Anyway, that's you did get part to, of And that was in Nevada? Yeah. Uh, those draw results are coming out like in a couple of days, man. Yeah, they're drawn uh, tomorrow. Uh huh. Draw, drawn tomorrow. We'll know Friday. I can't put in for Idaho till I see the results come out of Nevada. You know, so I'm just kind of patiently waiting. I did utilize GoHunt.com, which I've only been putting in for states for maybe ten to 15, oh, 15 years, sixteen years in some states. But always thought I had a decent like chance. The more points I got until uh, GoHunt just killed my buzz with my actual true draw odds and. Uh, you're just like winning the lottery when you get one of those tags, bottom line. So when we finish up this podcast, let's talk a little bit, because I've got some areas that would be just perfect for Dan. Yeah. The fitness man. I'm not kidding. That would be just, and I might just go along for the punishment. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's, let's finish with a little Cliff Notes version of your Rocky. I have to, I got to get the full story on that. So uh, where did you kill your Rocky and, and how close to shot, all that stuff? So the Rocky was uh, in 2006. Um, Jeez, you stacked these up, man. Uh, it was lucky. It was really just right place, right time. 2002, I drew the desert tag here in Nevada. Uh, 2003, it was a perfect fit for the doll sheep. 
2004, I didn't hunt sheep personally. A friend of mine had a California sheep tag in Idaho, mm-hmm. and he was bow hunting, and I hunted with him. 2005, I went on my stone sheep hunt, and then, believe it or not, 2006, I drew in the 25% random Wyoming draw, I drew a bighorn tag mm-hmm. in Area 4, and it was like it was meant to be, and um, and I thought, you know what, I'm going to... I've always done everything by myself and there are some areas in Montana you can do by yourself. And I thought, you know what? I don't have time to go stop to, to, um, I don't have time to, you know, survey the areas and, and learn it and, and things like that and and get boots on the ground. So I hired an outfitter and well, which was great. And the kid that they put me with was young and ambitious, but he had never been with a bow hunter either. It was like, ah, this and the bow hunter stuff, you know? Um, but we got in, we rode horses probably for 10 hours and got into, uh, some wilderness area. And, um, I guess on day two made, uh, made a stock on a really, really beautiful ram and had a mule deer screw me up, uh, that I hadn't seen, uh, which was my fault. Um, and the next day we're back in that same area looking for the same rams and, you know, there's a, there's a saying that it's always be it's always better to be lucky than good and um on on day four i we were sitting on the hillside and i was glassing looking for the rams that i had screwed up the day before and um and i heard some movement down the hill and i looked down and there was a chipmunk down there running around and playing around i just thought it was him you know and and i'm glassing i'm glassing i got my tripod set up between my legs and looking through uh, the glass and and I look over my guide, and he's got his boots kicked off, and he's half asleep, and he's still glassing a little bit. And I hear that noise, and I look down there again, and I thought, what the frick? That, that, that's a noisy chipmunk, you know? I don't think much about it, so I'm back to glassing. I look over at the guide again. He's sleeping. And, um, and I keep glassing and keep glassing. And I hear that noise again, and I look down, and Dan, here comes, I don't know, 12, 13, 14 rams. No way. They're they're thirty some yards away, and we had we had set down kind of beside a sheep trail, um, and and I and I and I could all I can see is the top of their horns, and I and I just I mean I I grab my tripod, I lay it down beside me, my bow's behind me, my uh, sling is I have a sling that goes over the cams, and it's behind me, so I grab the bow, I get the sling off. My releases on top of my pack beside me that I had just <laughs> laid my tripod on. So I, I and they're, now they're probably mm, thirty yards, maybe twenty five yards. I get the release out. I get the release on, which I always keep my release on. But that day we had been riding the horses and and uh, and I, you know, I just didn't put it on. You know, I was not expecting anything like this. So. So my release wasn't on, and so I finally got the release on, and uh, I got the bow beside me, and, and I start to knock an arrow. And now they're like twenty yards, and their heads are all down, they're all feeding, and I and I look over at my guide. Well, he had woke up, and he's not. He's sprawled out. His eyes are big as saucers, and he's just like looking at me and looking at the rams. And I get an arrow knocked, and I'm sitting on my butt, feet downhill. You know, if they go to the if they go to the left, I'm fine because I, I can swivel that way and shoot. Okay, 
but I can only swivel so far to the right or to the left. Uh, excuse me. Yeah, I can swivel to the left, but I can't swivel to the right very far. And um, the three lead rams, from what I could tell, were the biggest rams, and they came up and they're like eight yards. And their heads are all down, and they're all nose-to-nose, broadside. So if I shoot the first ram, I shoot through the first ram, shoot the second ram, and probably shoot through the third ram, I'm guessing. And the middle ram, his horns were just really dark compared to the other rams, and he just seemed like darker cape, everything is bigger. But it didn't matter. I couldn't shoot any of them at eight yards. Right. And I'm at full yard, you know, I'm at full draw. And the, and they, the, all three of them stop. Well, the middle ram just takes like two steps, and it was just enough to shoot in front of the one ram and hit the other ram perfect, and that was it. It was so, like I said, it was, it was better to be lucky than good. So, anyway, you, that finished my slam. Yeah, in like four years or five. Yeah. Uh, fate. That sounds like pure fate. That's so cool. Man, I'm so lucky to have you come on today. I know you're so busy, but I just enjoyed the hell out of this conversation. Um, where can people follow you on Instagram? Um, I'm at Mud Tony. Uh, I don't do a lot of posts anymore I, as far as animals go, but I do you know, some photography and a little bit of physical fitness stuff. But you know, I've kind of taken a, back, taken a step back with it. Uh, I enjoy a lot of photography and things like that and uh i keep my bow hunting to myself um and that and that's where i started and that's where it's kind of gotten back to is i just like to i hunt because it's who i am and in my soul and not for any other reasons so amen to that tony you're pure gold yeah well um after the draw results come out i'll uh, i'll t- send you a text uh, when i get my desert sheep tag and we'll have to compare notes if you draw a desert, I'm going with you, pal. Done deal. I can't wait. So, hey, man, I appreciate your time, and uh, we'll have to bring you on again after the season and see how it goes for you. That sounds good, Dan. Thanks for having me. Yeah, man. Likewise. Thanks for coming on. All right, guys. Have a good one. We'll catch you on the next one. Welcome to the Two Minute Drill, sponsored by Elk 101. I'm going to sit down and chat with the elk hunting wizard himself, Corey Jacobson. Two minutes on the clock. Hurry up offense style. Corey's going to drop knowledge bombs, and you are going to get better at elk hunting. So without further ado, here's Corey, and here is our topic of the day. All right, Corey, now that we got you here, so a common question we get here is how do you decipher how close a bull is given the terrain, the features, and it's bugling? How do you decide? Because that makes your next decision really important. How do you personally figure out how close a bull is? No, and that, that is a great question, especially, you know, when we're talking about calling elk, it's important to know how far away the elk is. And the reason for that is I feel the closer you can get to that elk before you set up and actually go into your calling sequence, the greater chance you have of calling that elk in. So being able to determine how far away the elk is, is, is a really important first step. Uh, but it changes, you know, you get in thick cover, thick timber, steep country, uh, where you're bugling from one side of a ridge to the other and it can make it really tough to tell how far away that elk is so it's important to understand what the train does to the audible you know sounds that you're hearing and when you're in thick country where there's a lot of heavy timber or thick brush you know we hunted oregon roosevelt last year it's super thick 
the the terrain muffles a lot of that and really absorbs a lot of that sound. So an elk's going to sound like it's a long ways away, but it's actually really close. And so if you're hunting in that thicker country or if it's really broke up with steep ridges, just keep that in mind that you don't want to go just tooling along and plopping in there because that elk is probably a lot closer than you think and you don't want to bump him. On the flip side, if you get in open country or you're on a vantage point bugling across a canyon and the bull's on another vantage point, it might sound like he's really, really close and he might still be a couple miles away. Uh, you get out in some of the desert units and the desert terrain and those bugles will carry for you know a mile and you'll think that bull is just right up here on this little knob and you get up there and realize you haven't even covered half the distance to where you thought he was. So paying attention to the terrain and, and understanding how the terrain affects the vocalization and, and especially the audible sounds that you're hearing from the elk is super important, uh, especially if you are calling and, and trying to make that next move. Hey elk hunters, Corey Jacobson here from elk101.com. And if you're like me, you're probably thinking about elk hunting every day of the year and working continually to maximize your chances for success this fall. Well, Dan and I have created a special opportunity for you that I feel will absolutely take you to the next level in elk hunting, regardless of your previous experience. Three years ago, I created the University of Elk Hunting online course with one goal in mind, to make you a more successful elk hunter. The UEH online course contains 45 chapters of detailed elk hunting information organized into 17 modules and covering every imaginable elk hunting topic, from planning and scouting to calling tactics and tracking and every topic in between. The University of Elk Hunting online course is the most comprehensive and complete resource available to elk hunters. And for listeners of the Elk Shape podcast, Dan and I have teamed up to offer you a 20% discount when you sign up. Simply go to elk101.com, click the link to the online course, and use the code ELKSHAPE, all one word, when you check out. You owe it to yourself to invest in the single most lethal weapon that you take to the elk woods each fall. Invest in you. Sign up for the University of Elk Hunting online course and elevate your elk hunting success today. 